So as I got closer, I sidestepped what I needed to do. And just as I was about to throw the first punch, I heard, what are you saying to Tony? And we both froze and turned our head up the hill to see barreling down the hill was an army of prostitutes wearing cardigans. This is the Valley Voices podcast. For New England Public Radio, I'm Jay Kyle Sullivan. So every year, NEPR hosts a series of story slams in our region. Each event's an opportunity to hear true stories from your neighbors and friends, shared live on stage for everyone to hear. Our audience votes for their favorites each night, and here on this podcast, we'll feature a selection of those stories for those of you who couldn't make it out. Earlier this month, we hosted our best of for the second season at the Academy of Music in Northampton. Starting us off, our second runner-up for the evening, Matthew Dix. Music here from the night's featured musical guest, Wishbone Zoe. My wife, Alicia, and I are married two years when she tells me it's time to start making a baby. I say yes, not because I actually want to make a baby, but because I want to stay married to Alicia. I knew we would eventually have children. I just didn't realize that eventually it was going to sneak up on me the way it has. There, in truth, there's a secret. There's something I haven't told Alicia, something she doesn't want to know and I don't want her to know. The truth is, I've been a parent before and I did a terrible job of it. And now I am afraid to be a parent again. When I was a little boy, I grew up in a house with parents who took a very casual approach to parenting. They resembled the adults in a Peanuts cartoon. They were sort of like in the other room mumbling through a cloud of secondhand smoke at all times. My mother was like the Hubble Space Telescope. She was positioned as far away as possible at all times and always looking in the opposite direction. And so I spent a childhood with these enormous chasms where parents should have been and they weren't. And being the eldest of five, I was the one who was constantly bridging those chasms. When I was 10, I would babysit my brothers and sisters on a Saturday night until 2 o'clock in the morning while my parents were out drinking. I'd sit on the couch wrapped up in an afghan, terrified, partially because I was watching Twilight Zone, which scared the shit out of me but mostly because I felt like I had the weight of the world on my shoulder, like if something went wrong, it was on me, and my shoulders were not big enough for the weight of the world. And so at every cow pond, I was a lifeguard, and at every playground, I was the policeman. I was actually the parent at my sister's parent-teacher conference when my mother forgot to show up. And so I spent my childhood doing all of these parenting things that I couldn't do. And as I went through my childhood, I felt like I had this stone hanging on my neck, weighing me down. And so when I was 18, I left home and I never looked back. And I ended up in a lot of trouble. I ended up in jail and I ended up homeless. But all of that was okay because it was on me. I was taking care of myself and no one else. But now Alicia wants to have a baby and it's gonna be ruined. Even the baby making is ruined now because of this awful thing called the iPhone. It's this app that Alicia puts in all her lady data, and it tells us when to have sex. So instead of a month of like carpet bombing my wife's uterus, instead it's like a surgical strike. I've got one shot a month at it, and she knows the night is going to happen, and it's tonight. And so she's in the kitchen, and she's making dinner when I hear her scream, and I hear a pan hit the floor, and I run, and I find her on the floor crying, and she's 
she's holding her hand, it's burned. She grabbed a pot that she forgot was hot, and it's a bad burn. There's like blisters, and it's red, and I look at it, and as I'm putting ice on it, and I'm calling the doctor, there's a part of my mind thinking, we're not gonna have sex tonight. And that means I'm gonna have another month where I don't have to be a parent. For the first time in my life, I am excited about the prospect of not having sex. And so it's a tough night for my wife. She's sitting on the couch with her hand in a bucket full of ice, and she's crying, and it's, it's awful. It is a bad burn. And then it's time for bed, and I'm sitting in bed waiting for her to come in. And as she walks in the bedroom door, she's holding a frozen bag of corn in her burned hand, and she's gritting her teeth. And I look at her, and I know she's going to have sex with me tonight. And it sounds crazy. I should have known this a long time ago, but this is the moment that I realize I'm not going to have to be a parent alone this time. For the first time, I realize there's going to be someone standing next to me when I'm taking care of little people. It is a person that is strong. It is a person who is able to have sex with me while clinging to frozen vegetables. I say, honey, no, next month, and she says, just make it fast. <laughs> and so I make it fast because that is what I can do. <laughs> and damn if Steve Jobs isn't amazing because nine months later, Clara is born. And three years later, Charlie is born. And they have been the best, most happy seven years of my life. And there has not been a single day that I have felt like I was alone. Thank you. Matthew Dix is an author, teacher, and the founder and producer of Speak Up, another evening of storytelling held every month based out of Hartford, Connecticut. Next, our winner for the second season of Valley Voices, Tony Nunes. So I was standing in the middle of my newly acquired slum apartment after my partner of 10 years told me I wasn't attractive anymore. So I stood there and decided in order to comfort myself, I'd make myself a little something to eat, which consisted of a cup of coffee and a Zoloft tablet. And it, it makes it a meal. And I thought... <laughs> I, as I stood, I, I looked at my dog and the cockroaches that were new to me and my moving boxes and stared out the window and I saw something I had not really seen before. Prostitutes. And prostitutes in a large number grouped together, huddled for warmth because it was so cold like they do in nature. You know, and I, when I first moved in, I, I said to the person next door, hey, what happened to the person that was living here before? And they said, oh, you don't want to know. <laughs> so I looked out the window and I thought, you know what, I have to do something. This is my neighborhood now. I've got to get up. I've got to do something. Prostitutes. And I knew exactly what to do. Cardigan sweaters. Because <laughs> cardigans are light and they have buttons on the front and you can undo them quickly for good marketing which is important when you're a prostitute, as you all know. So, 
I pulled out the cardigans that my ex had given me, and I thought, this would enrage him, so I know what to do with these. They're for the ladies. So I looked at the cardigans, and I tried matching them up, color coordinating with what each prostitute was wearing, just to, you know, to get, make sure the best assets were highlighted. And then I realized the buttons were going to be a problem. Because you have, you have, it's like guerrilla marketing. When someone drives by, you got to be able to whip that off really quick. So I ripped the buttons off and I went over to my craft area, which was the first thing I set up. <laughs> you do it too. And I put the Velcro dots where the buttons used to be. And I walked outside and I had an armful of sweaters and I said, excuse me. And the woman said, honey, the boys are on the other side. <laughs> okay. And I did note it. Um, and I said, no, listen, it's, it's really cold out here, and I don't know why you're standing out here, and I, I, I just, just take these sweaters. And the woman that approached me was obviously the director of communications. Her name was, her name was Char, and she said, hi, I'm Char. And I said, Char, these are sweaters. I want you to wear them. It's so cold out here. And she goes, oh, okay. So we passed them out, and I showed the ones I picked out for each outfit, and I went back and enjoyed my meal. Now, I've always been kind of a bad gay boy. I'm not really good at it. Like, I don't know how to date. And I don't, you know, I say things like, are we supposed to have sex now? Or is dinner done? Like, what are we doing? So I, I thought, I thought, okay, I'm going to go out. I'm going to have a drink. I'm going to hook up. I'm going to do it. Um, this is what we do. So late one night, I went out down D, downtown D.C. Um, none of that happened. Um, so I did have half a drink, which means I'm trashed. And then I couldn't stay late enough in the evening to where my attractiveness level would come up. You know? Like at the end, it's usually like a married congressman in the corner and then me, and that's when I win. So it didn't happen, so I decided I'm going to just go home. So on my walk home, I got to the bottom of my hill and I saw a man standing there and I thought, oh, maybe the night's changed. And uh, no, because he said, faggot. And I thought, how formal. Like, I thought <laughs> fag would be enough. So um, it's OK. It's OK. We're not, we're not friends. So then I decided, um, as I get closer, I knew that I needed to take him because I'm not afraid of a fight. So I thought, these people are a lot easier to deal with if you knock them unconscious. So I'm totally in. So as I got closer, I sized up what I needed to do. And just as I was about to throw the first punch, I heard, what are you saying to Tony? And we both froze and turned our head up the hill to see barreling down the hill was an army of prostitutes wearing cardigans. And they said, Tony, don't worry, we got this. And, and I looked at him just stunned and I didn't know what to say. And I said, the first thing that came to my mind was just, I can't help you. They surrounded him like bees and then just took him away. About a week later, I got home, and there was a box on my step. And it was the first mail I got, so I was really excited. I felt like I was established. And there was a card. In the box was a brand-new Brooks Brothers cardigan, something I could never afford, and the gay men just gasped. <laughs> and a note that said, Tony, thanks so much for the sweaters. They were wonderful. They were missing buttons. We sewed them back on. If you need to know how to sew buttons, we can teach you. Love, Char. P.S. Welcome home. Thank you. Tony Noons out of South Hadley, Massachusetts. 
Our winner from the second Best of the Valley Voices held earlier this month at the Academy of Music in Northampton. Special thanks to our musical guest for the evening and contributor for this podcast, Wishbone Zoe. Keep an eye out on our website. We'll soon be looking for auditions for our next season, which starts up in January. We'll be back next month to tide you over until then with another Valley Voices podcast from New England Public Radio. I'm J. Kyle Sullivan. We'll be right back.